Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Let's talk about beer, Johnny. Let's talk about AVB. Let's talk about Imperial Stouts and Imbibiouts of Wicked Weed. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about beer. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Bubble Podcast. Is it episode four? Johnny's smirking at me here. <laughs> we we got called out for saying that the last episode was episode two because we didn't count the intro. Um, but that's just beer geeks for you. Uh, <laughs> so we took an extended break over December. Well, we didn't take a break. We everyone else was just too busy to record with us. I wonder why. I don't know. Something something about Chris Mucker. Um so, But we are back in January, and we're back in January with a dry January inspired episode uh, a fascinating chat with robin one of the founders of square root soda yeah so for those who don't know about square root soda they are a soda company based in east london um very near where five points began actually mm-hmm. um and they've been going for about six five six years yeah, yeah. for the they they think their first bottle came out in 2014 she wasn't sure so <laughs> neither are we uh, she doesn't know uh, you guys don't need to. Um, but it was a, we, the reason we wanted to talk about sodas wasn't actually because of Dry January, although we timed that very well. Um, it was more because we saw so many synergies uh, with the craft beer industry uh, and the food industry um, who all have similar challenges, similar situations, similar processes. But what we learned is that it's kind of like in, in a thousand different ways it's different, but they're all tiny little ways, which Robin was enlightening us to. Yeah, and also the sort of the way that you walk into the, the craft beer bars that we so often drink in, and they always have a, a soda alternative to Coke. Quite often they'll have Coke in the fridge, but they'll usually have a Square Root or one of the sort of other, many other brands, which some of which aren't officially craft, I suppose we could say after all. No, not a craft soda. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of terminology, craft soda, small batch soda, uh, soda jerk. Soda scene was my favourite. Soda scene, but it's more like soda wars, as you'll learn. So it's a really interesting chat, but we start uh, by going through the process of how it's made, because from that, all the other issues and, and uh, we shouldn't just say issues, like all the positives uh, of the amazing soda scene uh, sort of stem from the way that it's made and how quickly it's made. Um, so yeah, this is Robin, founder of Square Root Soda, and we'll see you in about 40 minutes. Take it away. Oh, I love that stuff. Been drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for you. You know, I, I, they recently decided to add more hops to this. To it. Hops. 
Right. How often are the trains going to go over? Uh, Every three to four minutes. Ah, good. I'll put a bomb scare so in. Usually so uh, my dog is here and he will bark. <laughs> so instead of a barking dog this week, we have a train. <laughs> we like to have an interruption throughout the podcast. Exactly. Because so it's time nice. to think. Yeah. Um, so Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank uh, you. Thanks for taking your Friday afternoon off to... Um, Spin a yarn with us. Yeah, what else are Friday afternoons for? I don't know. Spinning yarns, that's not, <laughs> that's not really what it's for. Let's have a conversation we're going to have. No, I don't think so. And I've never said that phrase before. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> not a grandmother. <laughs> um, so, uh, you, you're the founder, one of the founders of Square Root. I am. Square Root Sodas. Um, we just had an amazing tour because I had no idea how soda was made. Yeah, neither um, did I at which, all. Yeah, slightly blew my mind. So maybe we should start there and just explain to people... Uh, how it's similar to beer in some ways and how it's completely different in many others. Sure. So the thing that, well, our thing is basically we start with the fruit first. So we always want to find an interesting ingredient or something that comes from somewhere that's really good. Um, I guess the easiest one to talk you through is lemonade. So our, our lemons come from Sicily. We actually got a smell of them Did earlier you? on. They're amazing. Yeah. Very lucky. Scratch the surface. And you get yeah. the really, like, tart smell off them. So they come from a, a small family farm that Ed, who is the other founder of Square Root, found on the internet. It's a magical place. <laughs> um, and the thing that's good about them is they're completely untreated, so you can just scratch the skin and you get all the, the gorgeous oils coming out. Um, and we want to use the rind, so any chemicals or any sprays like that are not really good for what we're doing. Uh, so the first journey part of the lemon is um, we'll rind it which currently uh, involves a grater and a power drill. I'm sad you didn't get to see that part. That's cross. That's cross soda. Uh, but it speeds it up a lot. Um, we soak the, the lemon rind in a sugar syrup to try and extract all that flavor out. And while that's happening, then we juice the lemons. Can you talk us through, actually, how the, uh, the, the drill works? The, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you've ever seen one of those... Um, hand tools that you can put an apple on. You like spike the apple onto oh, yeah, it, yeah. and like you a turn the crank. Yeah, and it yeah. peels the skin off. So it's one of those that we've cut into two pieces. One of them is the spike, which is the bit that we put into the drill, and then we spike the lemon, and then the peeler, which is the grating part, stays intact. And then you just point the power drill in the direction of the peeler. Yeah, and, uh, and you run do the that. Drill. You do that how many times per batch? Um, so. I mean, how many lemons are in a box? That's a very good question. The philosophical <laughs> question, even. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's probably about 50 to 80 lemons in a box, and a batch uses 20, maybe 25 boxes. L- lots. We're talking lots. lots. We're talking lots, yeah. <laughs> the team have gotten very good to it. I think there's a competition running amongst ourselves as who can rhyme the fastest, and I can tell you it's definitely not me. <laughs> how long did it take to get to that stage with the drill? Was that like hand on for a while and yeah so for to start with we were just using a grater and that was terrible um and then we just bought one of those machines ed and i happen to have one in our kitchen we've got so many random weird bits of stuff that we never really use to do anything with uh but i must have found some apples somewhere or something and was playing with it and suddenly thought oh i could spike a lemon on this and that would take the skin off much easier uh, and so the, we were doing that, the hand crank turning. And then it was almost certainly Ed's idea to saw the metal bit of the spike off and put it in a drill and try and speed that up. 
but it's just one of those things that came out of many, many days of slowly peeling rind off lemons. I like it. Thinking about how can you make that faster. Using your initiative, you know, what you've got around you. So so from that point, it's it's juiced. We saw the juicer. It's like the kind of stuff you'd see at a food store. It's not big. Yeah, it's a cafe-style orange juicer. Mm. Yeah. And so 20 boxes of lemons have to go through that. Yeah. And then what? Uh, So we collect the juice. Uh, the sugar syrup is poached with the lemon rind in it, and we leave that to cool, and then we sip that out. Uh, the rind's discarded, all the pulp is discarded. Uh, actually, is turned into compost, so it mm-hmm. doesn't just go in the bin. Um, and that's basically it, because lemonade is it's just lemon, sugar, and water. There shouldn't really be anything else in it, in my opinion. And if you're using really nice lemons, you don't need to put anything else in it to make it taste nice. So the, so the key is the lemon? Yeah. The key is the sourcing? Exactly. So what can you tell us about your lemon, <clears throat> and how secret is it? Um, well, a lot of people use Sicilian lemons in their lemonade. Um, I guess what we have that other people don't is that we make it fresh ourselves. We don't buy, like, a concentrated juices made elsewhere. We're, just, we're doing it all fresh. They leave Italy on day one. They arrive with us by day five. Usually by day seven, they're in a bottle. Amazing. Such a quick turnaround, sort of we're used to the beer world when even to churn out a pale ale quickly is going to take a couple of weeks um, and you can do it in three days, less. Yeah, so we don't actually have a lot of space where we are, so for us it's about ordering the fruit to arrive exactly when we need to use it so that we get the freshness and we're capturing that freshness in the bottle but also so that we don't have to store anything because, I mean, London, everyone knows there's nowhere to put anything <laughs> whether you're at home or a business there's there's no story. exactly yeah yeah um so we're in the midst of of january is that a big time for you guys yeah january is it's often as busy as we would be in like july and august when it's gloriously hot i mean it was this year um yeah so we as soon as we come back we almost can't not be in on the 2nd of January because we've got an email list full of like 100 orders, people being like, oh, I've run out already, it's January 2nd, I have to to stock up. We definitely see a huge uplift this month. And are, are lemons as a fruit seasonal? Is that not a huge headache for you? So they are seasonal, but lemons actually have three seasons, so you can buy them all year round. Hmm. It's just the lemons that you see in a supermarket, they're often picked now. This is actually yellow lemon season. Uh, the lemons you get from Europe now are called feminellos. Um, but they, they fruit on the tree all year round. It's just for the rest of the time they're green. So because we've been taught by supermarkets and by big businesses that lemons are yellow, they're this size, they're this shape, that's what you think of as a lemon. But if you just turn up and see us in the summer, yeah. you see a crate full of what everyone assumes is limes, but is definitely not. <laughs> Giant limes. Does that affect the colour of the lemonade? No, not at all. The, the juice is still exactly yeah. the same inside. It's just green it's on just the outside. It's just because you use a lot of the rind and stuff. Mm. I was wondering if that, the colouring of that would make it slightly... Like, no, it doesn't really affect it. You'd be like, this is, this is a summer square root, I can tell by the... <laughs> <laughs> well, there is the a made-on date on every bottle, so you should be able to tell when we made it. And it's all about freshness with all your products, I suppose, yeah? Yeah, exactly. That's why so many of our products are seasonal and you can only buy them at certain points during the year. Mm. Because we don't want frozen fruit or we don't want tasteless stuff that's been imported from, like, really far away that's been, like, six weeks on a ship getting to us. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it all come about? It seems 
that in the last sort of six or seven years in London or in the UK, it's been all about craft beer. And both uh, you and Ed come from a beer background. But so yeah. you, you saw it really taken off and went, actually, we're going to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely felt like we wanted to start doing something. We spent a lot of time in East London and there were so many different businesses going on. Uh, yeah, we were both involved in beer, but we had friends that were running bakeries and we had friends who were making chocolate and friends who were making all different kinds of things. And we sort of started to notice that no one was really doing soft drinks yet. And for me, with what I would play around with cooking at home or making stuff at home, playing around with different kinds of fruit and how fruits work together is kind of what interested me. So that's sort of how we got into making those kinds of drinks rather than beers. So it's kind of a chef-y approach to fruits, like flavour combinations and stuff, which you couldn't necessarily do with beer unless you were making fruit sours, basically. Yeah, exactly. And then you have to think, like, seven years ago, no one was really drinking sours. So yeah. it wasn't, like, the forefront of people's minds to do stuff like that. And wh- why do you think people weren't really doing soft drinks? Like, particularly at this time of year, everyone's like, well, what, what we need to make sure that people still come to the pub is to have a great soft drinks range. Still very few pubs do. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I guess at the time it just wasn't, it just wasn't on people's minds. People hadn't really thought that, that a soft drink could be what we now make it as now and what other people are making it. I guess it almost took the beer thing happening for people to realise that drinks can be craft, drinks can have modern flavours, and then everything else follows behind the thing that was first so you feel it, it sort of led the way for people like you and other things in the drinks industry to to blossom i suppose and expand and think outside the box yeah definitely in the time that ed and i were looking at starting our own business i think we saw about 20 different people opening a brewery and when you see so many people doing it you kind of get it into your mind that it's not difficult so I guess that happening and seeing people make it themselves was probably really fundamental to why we started Square Root and why, unlike most other soft drinks companies, we make everything. This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. Yeah, so um, i got two questions following on from that. The first one is, what, what's the scene sort of like? Are there lots of people who maybe have ambitions or marketing campaigns around the idea of being crafted, being small batch, of making it themselves, but aren't necessarily? Is that an issue in the industry? Yeah, massively. There are lots of brands out there. I would say there are very few people who are actually doing things in the way that we are doing things but they're almost trading off of how we talk about our drinks Mm. and how and what we promote 
Um, but I, the most common thing to do if you want to start a soft drinks company is to contact a third-party manufacturer and say, I want a lemonade, formulate me a lemonade. Yeah, so it's sort of own brand. Yeah. You might help them choose how sour you want it to be. or Yeah, exactly. It's very brand-forward. So people start with an idea of what they want to do. Yeah, the labels, how it looks, yeah. sort of the message they want to perceive, and then someone else does the legwork. Yeah. Okay. Which is a little bit like some contract breweries would perhaps go to a brewery that will make it and go well we want to make this what's possible without actually a doing the legwork and, and you know the, the craft angle i did the, the air quotes thing <laughs> um keep forgetting it's a podcast not a youtube channel um but equally what you i guess by making it yourself you you have the freshness angle which they'll never be able to replicate yeah exactly you look at the the backs of the labels the front might look glorious but the back i read the ingredients list and you see lemon juice from concentrate and then some essential oils that they've had to add in to try and replicate what we get from a fresh lemon mm, yeah yeah and and on a more positive note is there you know the craft beer scene is is something that people talk about and and eulogize over and love um we're here in the experiment where two breweries have come together <laughs> and put their beers and run different events and everyone comes down is there anything like that in the soda world, is there a soda scene, social scene? I like the thought of a, a soda scene. A soda scene, yeah. <laughs> Just people high on sugar. So much nicer than the craft beer scene. <laughs> it probably would be, yeah. <laughs> um, there are some other companies out there that are really friendly, and um, we'll sort of meet up with them and talk about how stuff is going. But I think the thing that is different from beer to soft drinks is a pub will perhaps have space for 10 different beers on tap but they'll just have one soft drink in the fridge Mm. so it feels a bit more competitive so everyone's always got that weariness because they're worried they say like oh yeah we're in talks with this person that you'll like swoop in and take that yeah i think the coffee industry is actually quite like that as well isn't it because it's you only really have one coffee supplier in your pub or in your cafe yeah it's a bit like hands off mine you're on my turf <laughs> whereas yeah the beer scene i suppose you've got so many different lines to play with and a lot of pubs and you can sort of coexist yeah and collaboration is really really common so people like to come together and it's very much got the angle of learning from what each of you do and then taking that away and applying it to your own process but it, it feels more open i mean we do a lot of collaborations with breweries i've never yes, done so a collaboration say, yeah. with a soda company so you you tapped into that because it's an open world and because, you know, you've come from that world and you hope yeah. that your customers will as well if they love craft beer and they want to have a soft drink. Yeah, and in the same way, we also both have a lot to learn from each other. So a lot of breweries will be interested in how we process fruits and how we can engineer things together, like the drill lemon peeler, so that we can quickly process something and that might be something they can apply if they want to make a fruit beer but they don't necessarily want to buy ready-made zest or whatever. Um, and how we look at putting a drink together is interesting for them because ultimately a beer is made in the same way every time. You're just changing the ingredients. Mm. So it's interesting to see how a completely different type of drink is made for them. And then for us, it's just really interesting to see how breweries have expanded and what they're using to make their lives easier in terms of like packaging and stuff like that so it's a it's quite beneficial to both of us yeah i mean when we did the tour so you've you've bought a tank off of pressure drop when they moved 
you, got, I think we've got four of pressure drops four, tanks in our space. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then your, your bottling line was once, well, your, not your bottling line, the make of it, you said was now a disused ornament in Cantillon. Yeah, our original bottling line, we actually bought that from Five Points Brewery. Right, okay. <laughs> and the, the, the guys that you've done collabs with, who, who are they and what have you made with them? Uh, so we do a lot of collaborations with Pressure Drop, of course. Um, they, I, that definitely just came about because their original brewery where we are now um, it's just a minute down the road from where Ed used to work at the Cock Tavern so Ed would be downstairs brewing pressure drop they like to knock off early we all know that <laughs> um, they would then be sitting at the bar when Ed would come up from shift and uh, we just got talking and uh, so they're really good friends of ours so it was great when we finally set up Square Root to, to do some work with them uh, we also collaborate with Five Points. Uh, our most recent collaboration we did with Partisan Brewery. Uh, that was a really great one to do. Um, Ed and Andy, the founder of Partisan, they used to work together at Redemption, so old friends again. And what, what did you make with, with those guys? Ah, so Partisan have been making uh, a series of Negroni-style beers. So they've done a white Negroni, uh, a Negroni, and then uh, the one that we made with them was Spagliato, which is a... A Negroni where you remove the gin and you mix it with Prosecco instead. So it's Campari, Vermouth and Prosecco. Yep. And it's alcohol-free completely? Uh, no, so the beer has alcohol. The, um, the interesting thing that we can then do is we take the beer and we blend that down into a shandy to make the non-alcoholic version of that collaboration. So you get two products, the beer and the shandy. Hmm. So um, we basically, we just vibe off the beer. So whatever's in that, we'll use again and then just soda-rify it instead of brewing it. Amazing. Slightly tough question. <laughs> so you, you guys have seen lots of growth and you're about to expand, which we'll, we'll have a chat about in a, in a sec. We're in the midst of what is supposed to be the most successful dry January ever. There's going to be, I think it's 4.2 million people giving up alcohol. We are only five days in. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how many of those 4.2 go the distance. Um, how much of your growth but more broadly soda's growth do you think has come from people giving up alcohol and how much of it has come from people just loving flavor and coming at it from the way that you did a sort of chefy interest in in fruit and drinking um that's that is a tough question i think it all sort of is playing together so i think as people expect better quality stuff in places um, they then expect that to translate through everything. So the wine list, the beer list, the food, the soft drinks. Um, but then I also think that all the the press and the promotion that not drinking is getting is also making it more acceptable to to go to a pub and not necessarily have an alcoholic drink. But then those kinds of people who are going to the, the types of pubs that stock our drinks, they want something that is the equivalent of what they would be drinking if it was a beer. Yep. And obviously, we're the answer to that. So, is there a snootiness about Coca-Cola in the in the soda world, the soda scene? I think it either goes one of two ways. You're either like, "No, I hate Coke. I'd never drink it," or you're like totally fanatical about it, and you're like, "Coke is my everything. It's my childhood. It's like the thing I have always drunk, so I always will have it." When I see it in a glass bottle, I'm always like, "Yeah, I'm going to have it." Yeah, I don't know why, <laughs> but glass bottle is the ultimate Coke. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably zero science behind that, but, <laughs> but I love it as well. I don't quite know 
what it is. And, and what about from, from a more industrious perspective? So obviously brewers, um, gin makers, all these people are railing against macro beer, macro gin, this kind of stuff. Is, is, there, is there any friction between the bigger producers and the small artisan guys coming up? I, I think the bigger producers haven't really started to take that much notice yet. Right, it's too, too young. Yeah, it's still in its infancy. Um, I certainly think it's going to be more of what they're looking at now. But we haven't really seen a lot of like aggressive sales moves that you get from people like Carlsberg who like buy up lines and pubs. Hmm. It's not really the done thing for Coca-Cola. Is there a, like a craft pseudo scene in America? There is. We've been talking to a lot of American brewers and they say that they import UK drinks because the drinks that they can buy in America, they don't rate them. They think they have like preservatives and stuff in because there's a lot more strange stuff that's legal to use in drinks in America than there are here. So It's just because the, obviously the UK brewing scene has look to America so much, sort of the birth of craft beer, I suppose, has come from there and we, we look over for inspiration and they kind of lead the way and the UK has come such a long way in such a short space of time but there is such a, an influence and all the big buyouts happened there first and so I was wondering if you know there was things like that happening over there that we could maybe look to to see what will happen in the UK soda scene in the next sort of three to five years. I think it's quite regionalized so we've met a few people that are doing slightly similar things but there's no one really doing it in the way that we are there'll be like a small place that does kegs for certain bars and stuff like that there isn't anyone really that i found that is approaching it in the same way that we are so you're the 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 origin of it and people are going to probably you know in america maybe they'll be looking to the uk for (laughs) <laughs> advice when their soda scene kicks off maybe that would be interesting i think we're like the progression of what was already happening so what was happening when you started what, what year did you start sorry um so the first bottles were released in 2014 yes that's right is that right <laughs> I really, this is the kind of details that I really should know by now. <laughs> we, we can put it in the show notes if it's wrong, but for now, we'll, we'll go with 2014. We'll go with 14. I don't know what year it is right now. So <laughs> where am I? Um, yeah, so were there, were there people producing small batch sodas that you tasted when you were doing it in your kitchen? So, hmm. There was one, there's one place in Bristol that was doing uh, an open source version of cola called cube cola um and there was somebody else in east london called uh dalston cola who were at the time doing it themselves um but apart from that at the time there wasn't really anybody and what (laughs) this is just a personal question really what is it about (laughs) coca-cola so lots of people have done colas yeah um firstly what is a cola and secondly, <laughs> why does it taste so radically different from what we know as a cola? Um, what is a cola is also a very difficult question. <laughs> um, the easiest answer, it's like a botanical drink that is made from a mixture of citrusy spices and spicy spices um, with caramel, which makes it the, 
the dark colour that you know as Coca-Cola or as cola. So is that like a caramelised sugar syrup rather than like a white sugar syrup? or? Um, so, yeah, we use burnt sugar, but yeah. um, Coca-Cola uses like caramel colour. Right. Yep. I've seen that in the, in the ingredients list. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just... It is a subtle blend of all these different spices that just taste like cola. Right. Do you know the origin of it? <laughs> um, so Coca-Cola is the origin of it, I think. Um, the story goes that there was a, uh, a man in America who ran a pharmacy. And back in those days, the pharmacy is where you would have a soda bar. And you would have, I kid you not, this is a real job title, a soda jerk who works behind the bar who mixes up the sodas for you. So they would be like syrups on a back bar and then he would measure them out and mix them with fizzy water and that's what you'd be served. Um, And I think Mr. Coca-Cola, whoever his actual real name was, um, was just playing around with flavors and found these things called cola nuts which I'm not really sure how they made it into the final drink because personally I think they taste horrible. They are incredibly astringent. Uh, but it was like a mixture of cola nuts and the sugars and he was just playing around with spices until he hit on a drink that people enjoyed. I can't imagine how many different iterations of that <laughs> yeah. drink How many times his mates had to be like, dude, I love you, but that's random. <laughs> <laughs> and then he became the wealthiest suited jerk ever to live. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been called a beer jerk, Johnny? Uh, yeah, I feel like I probably have, definitely behind my back. <laughs> well, so everyone at Square Root is a soda jerk. That's what it says on my jumper. Oh, yeah, soda jerk. So what got you really interested in it was the way that different fruits play off each other uh, and messing around in your kitchen. Nowadays, how do you do product development? Is it like Mr. Coca-Cola just jerking around? Yeah, we're just jerking around. Um, so we still have a little test kitchen at Square Root, and and basically, yeah, that's how everything is done. We'll just play around. We kind of similar types of fruit will work in the same way. So like an apple and a pear are kind of the same when you're trying to to work out how much fruit juice you'll need to make it taste of that thing. Like a lemon and a lime are kind of the same. Uh, a strawberry and a blackberry would be kind of the same so we would always take a previous recipe and start from there and then just change the fruit in it and see how that works and then just by tweaking little bits like how much sugar how much lemon juice how much of the fruit juice uh, are we pressing it in the right way is there something else we can do to get flavor out and it's just playing around with all those different things until you get to the final drink hmm. and is it always fruit or can you play around with sort of Spices or yeah, herbs we use a lot of herbs like and spices and stuff in the drinks as well. Yeah, root beer. 
Root beer. So I'd never really understood or cared what root beer was <laughs> until I was in Texas middle of last year and I went and I had a Reuben sandwich in a Jewish deli with a root beer and the root beer was the most delicious fucking thing <laughs> I, I have ever tasted. Tastes like fizzy benalin. Tastes like fizzy benalin. No, but, well, <laughs> I mean, that has its appeal as well. But it was just, oh, I don't know, like uh, licorice and toffee and all this delicious stuff. You guys have a root beer? We do have a root beer, yeah. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Other than my least favourite, I'm sorry. Um, It is. So ours, it's kind of a a combination of an old East End sarsaparilla and an American-style root beer. So we use sarsaparilla, which is a root. Um, We also use burdock root. So it's kind of like a dandelion and burdock sort of Mm flavour. Um, and we use licorice because so you get like a really nice sweetness out of that. And then uh, the American style root beers, they always have wintergreen in them. And wintergreen is what's that, that really medicinal flavor that you get from a root beer. So that's the what, what Rob gets when he tastes it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I think the reason it was never really that popular in this country is because wintergreen we use in medicine, whereas in America, they don't do that. Right. So it's an association yeah. that we have. All right. Because the, the one I had was, was made at the place. I forget what it was called. It was in um, San Antonio. It had none of that medicinal kind of thing to it. Um, but it's like you say, it's, it, soda is really regional. And yeah. it's not something I've really thought about that, you know, maybe in Texas they don't add um, wood green, but in the UK they do. And, and it's something you don't really think about. You think a Coke's a Coke, a lemon's a lemon, a lemonade's a lemonade. Um, and it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Mm. Clearly, I need to become a root beer importer. I'm getting <laughs> overexcited about it. Before you explained it, my next question was going to be because I think Johnny was turning it into quiz you on what different soft drinks actually are, <laughs> what, what, what a sarsaparilla was or is. Uh, so it's a kind of root beer. It's, I guess, a root beer, the easiest way to quantify it, like a pale ale or like a porter, is it's a drink made out of plant roots. Right. That was easier than cola then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we talked a bit about the big guys. What are the ambitions for Square Root? If you're always going to make it yourself, yeah. how far can you take that? And how much can you compete with people who are contract brewing it? So for me, that's the, that's the interesting part. Um, Ambitions-wise, I would love to see it everywhere. One of my favorite things about going to Berlin is you can walk in any shop, you can walk in any bar, and you, you see Fritz Cola, and it's just ubiquitous everywhere. You can't walk past an umbrella in a patio without seeing their brand. There's two guys smiling faces just uh, staring down at you. Um, I would love that to be us here. Is that legit made and... I think they make it on contract now. Right, okay. <laughs> was but they originally? originally... No. <laughs> they originally stored it in their garage. Hey, well, that's cool too. <laughs> so craft. <laughs> they also have a giant ship in the, the river that runs through Berlin, and it's like Fritz Cola branded. You can see it on their website. Like Brewdog have a plane now. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a soda plane one day. <laughs> a square root plane. <laughs> be a little Cessna or something. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, I think the thing that makes doing this really interesting for me is the fact that we make it. I think 
uh, I was telling someone earlier, I, I didn't get into this because I wanted to become a salesperson. I got into this because I wanted to make drinks. So I always want to make it. I always want to keep the whole production process in-house. Uh, not only because it makes our drinks great, but we get to do really creative things like collaborating with other people. I think that's a really good part of what we do. So the interesting thing is going to be about growing this and keeping it like in that way and keeping the production in-house. And is, is there any fear that the people who are doing it, who are contract-making it, will sort of fill that void for artisan, air quotes, sodas while you're doing it the right way and organically and growing a bit slower? That doesn't really worry me. I think doing it this way and, and building up our network of fans and customers and doing it the right way, I think ultimately that will win. Yeah, I think, organic growth. Yeah. and Just like your lemons. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have the longevity in the end. Yeah. Um, so another thing that's been sort of big news in the last year is the sugar tax in the pseudo world. Has that affected you or will it affect you? So it doesn't affect us yet. Like, um, like beer duty, there's a minimum threshold, which we haven't met, but eventually we will meet it. And uh, our drinks do fall into the lower band, so it will be the lower level of tax. Um, because we're using fresh ingredients, the sugar isn't that high, but not all of our products are low enough sugar to not be affected. And is, so in beer, you know, the, the tax is a very significant amount of the cost that the consumer pays. Is, is that also true now in, in soft drinks? I don't really know, because we haven't really seen much of a price increase on the bigger companies who will be affected the most by this. Um, I think the only thing I really notice is if you get a meal deal in Sainsbury's now, and the bottle of Coke you get with it is, is 30% smaller. Yeah, I've seen... The, I think they've made either the packaging smaller, which Coke definitely did, and then... Yeah. Um, uh, Brad was raging about the fact that Fanta's now sugar-free. Oh, and completely. Dr Pepper is now 50-50, and it's ruined everything for yeah. me. Is there nothing the government can't <laughs> take the joy out of? What is Dr Pepper? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love it so much. I can. So I really struggled to figure out what Dr Pepper was. Um, and because before I, I did all this, I did a chemistry degree. I got a lab to analyze what was in Dr Pepper Amazing. and try and um, help me to understand what it is and it's kind of like cola but it has like lots of vanilla and lots of almondine flavors in it but almondine is in literally like almond yeah right. like almond extract but I don't know if they get it from almond you can get it from things like apricot kernels and stuff so it doesn't make people's allergies of course yeah yeah so it's not a nut come out nut yeah, issue, yeah exactly there's a shop in Leytonstone near my house and it sells the American Dr Pepper and the <laughs> American Cherry Dr Pepper and it does taste different and it's nicer it's regionalised mate so oh good yeah, I didn't even know listening. that American was different I'm going to America in March so I'm going to fill my suitcase yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when we go away to America and fill our suitcase full of know, other half I've got Dr Pepper so Cherry I'm going to go see other half and I'm just going to be like no I'm really sorry my suitcase is full already <laughs> just with Dr Pepper <laughs> when you were sat there and you knew that the sugar tax was coming yes were you pro or were you against the notion as a producer of it? I think I was largely indifferent. Right, okay. Because <laughs> it wasn't going to affect you for a long time? or 
because um, you're balancing your business head and the obesity crisis. <laughs> so we didn't really know if it was going to affect us or not. Um, we did. We were part of the consultation process. Right. So the government came and talked to us about what we think. Um, and it wasn't until literally, I think, a week before the April deadline we were supposed to come out that we knew whether we had to register for a thing, uh, what the threshold was going to be, if there was going to be a tax relief. It was very disorganized. Um, but I always feel in these kind of situations, until you know what's going to happen, there's no point you can't thinking worry. about it or doing yeah. anything about yeah. it. And so that's what we spent our time doing at Cave Direct, is sort of trying to figure out what's going on with Brexit. But at the end yeah. of the day, we, we don't know. Yeah, it's hard to be scared of something do. you don't know what it is yet. Like, Definitely. Yeah. Like, and that is a, a sort of, your approach is probably the best way to do it. Like It's out of your hands yeah. and there's nothing you can do. And all you can do is really react to when it comes into place and if it affects you. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the media does a really great job in like making you feel really panicked about everything. <laughs> and then when it happens, it's just like, did it happen? Yeah, I feel like there was there was huge press around the campaign by Jamie Oliver and a couple of other people. Yeah. And then when it actually came to effect, I don't remember a single story about going, it's, into, it's in effect now, look what's happened. Because I feel like the journalists went out there and said, what are you going to do to change it? And everyone went, uh, not much. <laughs> Like I Coke think, made their cans a bit smaller, that was it. Yeah, and it's because a lot of people reformulated, so they didn't have to pay the tax. Yeah. So the, the amount of money the government thought they were going to get in is nowhere near what they actually got in. So, which, which in some way, you know, so long as what they put in that recipe was, was also healthy, you know, hopefully not aspartamium or whatever, yeah, then it did its job. sweeteners. What, the, the, the flavours they give or... Uh, just in general. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough a, about it, but from a very young age, I was scared off aspartamine by everyone I knew. <laughs> it was like, you know, the whole E-numbers thing, like where parents would be sad, they go, oh, that kid's had too much E-numbers. You're like, what does it even mean? An E-number means like European stamped as fine. How are we... Yeah, everything has an E-number. Yeah. Salt has an E-number. Exactly, yeah. So as a kid, obviously I didn't question them on that. I didn't have any, <laughs> any idea. But nowadays, there seems to be a, a whole scare story about E-numbers, but equally zero questions about the people that are suddenly must be putting them in because sugar's got to come out. But sugar also has an E-number. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Other E-numbers then, yeah. Um, one thing I'm always interested when I see your bottles is why you've chosen bottles. Because quite a lot of people have moved into cans, um, yeah. specifically the small, the 200 mil cans. Oh, the Karma Cola. I think they're 250. Yeah, 250 yeah. mil. Is bottling something you will always do or is there a reason behind it um i think until when we started it obviously canned beer wasn't even really a thing i think you got like a bit of sierra nevada's torpedo over here in cans but i don't really remember seeing anything else um and bottling just because that's what we saw people doing we assumed that was easy and i mean it is easy it's very it's a lot easier to to find bottling equipment that isn't very expensive. So if you're starting a business with not a lot of money, it's, I think it's basically your only option if you want to do it yourself. Um, I mean, the bottles are great. They're fully recyclable, and that's, like, the major thing on our list of things to... I don't know where I'm going with this now. <laughs> you, you, you've got little red good. lines for you. Yeah. 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 Um, cans are also recyclable, but we couldn't really have predicted that 
they will become such a thing in beer. Yeah. Is there a benefit, do you think, of having it in a can? So in beer, obviously, there's less light damage, there's less oxidization. Yeah. It's the same with, uh, same with soda. Yeah, definitely. Light damage definitely affects things when you're using natural flavors. It's the same with, uh, with beer. It's, it's the same essential oils. There's the same flavor yeah. profiles from the same chemical bonds, yeah. Exactly. But we, we tackle that by putting a shorter shelf life on the drinks so they're not hanging around in fridges as long. Um, cans is definitely something that we want to look at. I think that would be a really exciting way to do it. Um, but then the, the kind of like premium edge of, a, of like what a craft soft drink is, it's kind of taken away by cans because at the moment, canned soft drinks, you get like lilt Sprite. Yeah. Also, like we said about Coca-Cola, yeah, exactly. yeah. you love it in a glass bottle There's for n- some exactly. reason. Yeah. Nothing better than putting a disposable or reusable straw into a glass <laughs> bottle of Coke. And sat in a, on a patio in France or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that is holiday. the best way to drink that. So a paper sure. straw, though. It's never plastic. Of, yeah, of course. Plastic. Yeah. Come on, Rob. <laughs> she just said recycling is good, but there's something better, which is you don't have to create any packaging. Um, yeah, I'm just going to start serving our drinks in my hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't do the... Actually, you, know, you could do the, the new refillable thing that the shops are doing, but just have to be really quick. Um, yeah, the, yeah the, the glass bottle, to me, is the ultimate way to drink a soda. So it, it is yeah. interesting because the beer industry has moved so far towards cans, whereas it is still, to me, the, the best way for you to drink it. Drink a, a popsicle. Uh, yeah, popsicle? I also think that you know when, when I drink a square root lemonade, which I do quite a lot now. Um, Good. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, is it slips down so fast and it's so quenching, and I usually have it when I'm really thirsty. Um, and there's a joy to a bottle, like necking a can. For me, is quite an uncomfortable drinking experience, whereas drinking straight from a bottle is really satisfying. It's completely unquantifiable, and it's based on nothing. But I'd, I'd, if I was drinking an IPA, love it from a can. But a lager, somehow I prefer drinking it from a bottle, and it, I think it's because of the speed at which you uh, <coughs> imbibe. So you like to, to neck, neck a lager? Yeah, I love to neck a lager. Lager. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's looking at me like that's a weird thing, but everybody loves to neck a lager or a lemonade. Or a Negroni soda. <laughs> I drove over to the Sonic Drive-In, ordered a jalapeno burger, washed it down with beer, 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 beer. So yeah, that was Robin. A really interesting talk about the soda world yeah. and the soda scene. I hope you guys enjoyed the what's in this soda episode. I mean, that was one of the most interesting parts. I don't want to say that because I probably could have just looked it up on Wikipedia, but not really understanding <laughs> all the drinks that I just sort of take for granted and what goes into them, um, particularly root beer. Yeah, dude, uh, I need to import root beer. Yeah. that Just that one. But I actually think what really struck me um, about this chat was the sort of 
not quite turf wars, but you know what I mean, that go on in the, the soda industry. Um, the beer world really does coexist. Everyone has space on a bar. You can have 15 lines in a pub and you can have 15 different breweries pouring from that mm. and you could go in the next week and there could be 15 different breweries pouring from that and you've got a selection of a, in a fridge of 20, 40, 100 bottles of beer and cans of beer. Whereas you just that can't happen in the pseudo world. It is your you own your space in the fridge and yeah, it's, it's still the 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 second thought, isn't it? The soda. It's like oh, well, we need something for people that aren't drinking, and you only think you you need one. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting discussion with Nirvana Bruquet, who the the alcohol free brewery uh, in Leighton. Yeah. Um, and they they were saying that so many of the accounts that they go into to try and sell to say that they don't want to talk to Nirvana because they their alcohol-free stuff doesn't sell very well. And so Nirvana's sort of go, well, do you think it's because your product's a bit crap? Um, and people just don't compute sort of profitability and opportunity with the non-alcoholic sector. So you have one non-alcoholic beverage, you have one soft drink, craft soft drink, it just and takes, that's it. ticks a box and then you're, yeah, you're done with it. Exactly. Nobody's putting effort into growing that segment, which must be really tough. Um, and I think Square Root have done a fantastic job because lots of the great bars that I go into, Square Root is the soft drink that's there. And that can't be easy. Yeah, and that goes down to the quality. You know, All Robin talked about was the fact that they make it themselves, it's all organic. Everything that goes into it is their hard work. And yeah. that, that sort of shoes. You know, ev- everyone that she's competing with is uh not probably not making it themselves and buying cheaper ingredients or concentrates of the real fruits that they use so they've they probably can't compete on the price level so it's the quality that's getting into there and the knowledge that they clearly have of the beer and the bar industry through their background at the Houston tap and at five points yeah definitely and i love the way then they've turned to breweries to collaborate with because they want some friends <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> if it's awkward hanging out with your colleagues then yeah go yeah, go elsewhere go and not really mates has cemented them within the beer industry. Um, everyone knows them. Um, all the craft beer bars, it seems to be the, the pseudo stock of choice in craft beer bars. And they've experimented with more breweries than anyone else to produce some really exciting different beers, low AVB beers or mm. soft drinks. Um, so I, th- I think that is a, a really amazing thing. And it, it sort of highlights to you how lucky that it is to be in the beer industry where it is collaborative and very friendly um, because not every industry can be like that. You know, you can know people that work in the suit industry and you can like them on a personal level, but you can't really interact with them as much. Yeah. I mean, you look at where we are, where two breweries have come together to launch something together to what should be competitors. You know, there's not many industries where that's possible because you don't have 10 taps with 10 different beers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a great business opportunity, uh, business ploy for them um but it also means that they produce you know i love the shandy that they do with pressure drop and i think um you know the, the fact that dry january this year has been so successful as a campaign proves that people want lower alcohol stuff but equally looking at statistics that i did when i was writing a story about it um soft drink sales go down in january as well yeah suppose people just go out less yeah but if you can get them back in with quality stuff and that's the only way that you can really, certainly as a pub, arrest that decline is to get something else for you to get excited about. Um, and it's also, it's, it's a 12-month solution. It's not a one-month solution. If, you, if you're able to give them a, a 0% or a 1% or a 2% alcoholic beverage, 
that will work for you 12 months of the year. Um, and that's the only way that we're going to sort of deal with the fact that the government doesn't really want us drinking for some reason. Yeah, and I mean, for them, it's a great time to get into it because stats show that millennials, I'm doing the, the inverted commas again, <laughs> we do it so much, um, but are, are either drinking a lot less or not drinking at all. So there may be, in 10 years' time, this huge swing where people really aren't going towards beer or wine or gin, which is obviously very popular at the moment, and they're looking for alternatives. Yeah. And, you know, it could be Square Root, it could be any of the other... Uh, soft drink companies out there but I think from what Robin was saying and from tasting all their drinks they are at the forefront of it they're making such a good quality product yeah. um, it's I the best lemonade I've ever tasted yeah their lemonade is amazing yeah um, and so I think it's really interesting that you know there's definitely an opportunity there for Square Root the it's going to be moderated by how effective people brewing with concentrate and brewing under contract can tap into what they've actually produced this artisan soda industry um which would be my concern as if i worked in marketing for them i'd be like well we need to make sure that our message gets out we make it ourselves that's the quality stuff and i think that's also true in the beer industry where there's now a lot of breweries who brew under contract or um don't brew at all don't brew at all um managing to corner a market significantly easier than others um and i think that increasingly will become a huge whenever i talk about issues like this you look to belgium because they are like they're even ahead of america in terms of the business side of it um and you look at belgium and they hate contract brewers because oh, completely or even any big brand any bio they do like they hate imbev yeah. and everyone knows about it whereas i think unless you are really into beer and you know who imbev are but to do blogs they, they don't even know who this the biggest brewery in the world is no. um but belgium's really really dislike it they've had all their big brands decimated like Chimay and Duval are probably the only survivors of that you know 20-30 years ago where there were just endless buyouts endless closures and they know what happens if if an industry is bought into um, and basically shut down yeah they crippled their industry yeah Um, and I think that we need to be wary of that in the UK in the beer industry all industries need to be wary of that and I think that in soda even if the big guys don't come in because, I mean, let's, let's be honest, Coca-Cola is a brand that is, is never going to worry about Square Root. But people who take influence from Coca-Cola, people making contract brewed slightly better, maybe sustainably brewed or whatever it is, will be a threat to Square Root. But their product is just on another level. It was interesting what Robin said, that she doesn't even think will be on the radar of brands like Coca-Cola yet. Because it is such a a small part of the market like we talk about how the craft beer industry in the uk is in its infancy but soda is really <laughs> in its infancy you yeah. know they're one of the founders and they're maybe five years old um i mean even the government doesn't deem them worthy of, of sugar tax yet yeah i mean obviously they are corporation tax but none, none, they're not seen as a producer of sugary drinks by the government that's how small this industry is now and there's more and more cropping up, so it'll be really interesting to sort of see the path it takes if it follows a similar trajectory to beer. Um, if there'll be 300 pseudo producers in London in the next. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be awesome, but uh, maybe not so awesome for Robin. Um, so, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. If you've got any thoughts or if you know of any awesome soda companies, uh, let us know. Uh, you can get us at Beer Channel uh, or get us at Beer Merchants, um, who are our sponsor. 
otherwise, we've got an episode coming in February. We won't say which it is because we haven't decided which, but we do have content coming monthly now. Uh, Christmas will not get in the way. Um, so all the best, guys, uh, and as always, try to get out of the bubble. <laughs>